0: I'm Pat Abram, currently uh, at the Blackpool Lifeboat Station. I'm um, a deputy launching authority on the operational side. And I'm also uh, the engagement manager for the uh, Shop and Visitor Centre. I grew up in uh, Fleetwood, which was a a very vibrant fishing port up until the mid seventies, when the last cod war really decimated the fishing uh, industry at Fleetwood. My father, was a, a trawler engineer, spent all his life going to sea. My father and his relatives were connected with the lifeboat at Fleetwood, but unfortunately I never knew my father because he uh, he drowned at sea when my mother was two months pregnant with me. So the only real memories I've got is what my mother told me about my father, his connection with the lifeboat. In those days, to summon the crew to the boat house, they used to launch maroons so when I was sort of 8, nine, ten, eleven, when the Maroons went, as did most other children in the town, uh, you get on your bike and you'd fly down to the boat house. And to be fair, there was an incentive, and um, it's probably hard to understand uh, in the modern day with health and safety as it was, but the first six children there actually got a pair of Wellingtons and uh, a shovel to dig out the slip race so that the uh, lifeboat could launch. So... It was always a race who could get there. So you're either digging the slipway out or you're spectating as the uh, lifeboat went down the uh, the slipway into the estuary. I always lived in awe of what I saw, even as a child, really. I sort of felt that I'd like to join the lifeboat when I, when I was old enough, and particularly to carry on, in a way, my father's tradition of being connected with the sea. When I left school at 16, uh, I joined the Lancashire Constabulary as a police cadet until I reached the age of 19 when I was appointed as a, an officer and was stationed for a, a good part of my uh, my early career, certainly in Blackpool. Different forces took a different view on whether serving officers could actually join the RLNI and be a crew member. Lancashire police at that time uh, wouldn't allow it. I know since that's, that's changed, certainly in Lancashire we actually used the police Land Rover to launch the D-Class lifeboat at Blackpool because they didn't have a Land Rover to launch the vehicle. So on uh, a good number of occasions, I actually launched and recovered the D-Class. And as a consequence, I used to go down to the boathouse when I was launching or recovering or just to have a chat with the crew, really. Uh, So I knew quite a few of the crew uh, in those sort of times, in the late 70s into the early 80s. And uh, I sort of, as a general rule of thumb, knew when the conditions, because, of course, it was uh, only an inshore lifeboat station then, as it is now. There's obviously restrictions, weather and sea state, as to when they can safely launch. Tuesday, the 4th of January, 1983, I was working a 2 to 10 shift at Blackpool Central. At that time, uh, the weather was quite severe. It was um, a spring tide, a southwesterly wind. And in those days, the seawall wasn't as resilient as it is now, it's been changed. And on that uh, Tuesday evening, the, uh, the sea was high. It was coming over. It was flooding onto the tram tracks. And what was the dual carriageway then on the promenade? And on occasions, we closed the promenade because of the dangers. So I knew that conditions then were quite severe and uh, the following day the forecast was, was much the same. So on Wednesday the 5th of January I was on an early turn and again the sea state was much the same. The sea was coming over uh, as the tide was flooding. Towards the end of the shift I was parked in a, a square uh, in the centre of Blackpool and we got a message to say there was a report of a person in the sea opposite what was the um, Pembroke Hotel which was to the north uh, end of Blackpool. I immediately responded as did other um, police vehicles. As I set off from the square a traffic car travelling on blues and twos went through the lights ahead of me and that was uh, a colleague Colin Morrison. I then turned onto the promenade uh, I'd already seen in my rearview mirror the two other Panda cars driven by Angela Bradley and Gordon Connolly. They were clearly in the town centre waiting to go in, so we're nearby. And we went to Gin Square, where there is a slipway down from the middle promenade to the lower promenade. On the lower promenade, there is a further slipway into the sea. As I drove down, the sea conditions were severe. Uh, there was mountainous waves, we were crashing over the, uh, the, the lower walk and the slipway. We ran to the, the gate across the top of the slipway. We climbed over, uh, and as I climbed over, I looked, and I could see a person in a life belt, possibly two life belts, a man reasonably close to the wall but being engulfed by the sea, and uh, really he was struggling even though he'd got buoyancy aids on. Between there and the boating pool, which is probably a quarter of a mile further down, all there is is two flights of steps down. I knew that the likelihood of anybody getting out once they've passed the Ginslet Way was remote. I was also um, aware that the conditions were probably such that the inshore lifeboat wouldn't be uh, able to launch. I made the decision. I was handed a lifebelt by uh, by andrew and a member of the public i put the life belt on the line on the life belt was tied on to the landward side of the slitway and i went into the water as soon as i went in i was engulfed by the uh, the crashing waves i got within about six foot of the mail in the water but the line went taut i reached out he reached out and we were probably about four foot short I knew that if I got out the life belt, I would be likely in serious difficulty, if, if not drowned. But the conditions were so severe, so I managed to get out and immediately Angela untied the rope and Gordon had got another piece of rope and the intention was we're going to tie that length of rope and extend the rope. I was watching the the person in the sea because he was moving at walking pace and I needed to get back in uh, whilst he was still near the slipway because as I say, it was now or never. I went to go back in. Uh, Angela had got the rope round her waist holding it. Gordon was behind her holding it. Uh, And I went in. As I went in, a huge wave crashed over the top of me and I, I went under the water When I came up, I saw uh, the male in the life belts being pushed against the seawall by by the force of the tide, and Angela and Gordon, who had no buoyancy aids at all, were actually clinging to the life belts that the man had on. I got taken out on the the, the sort of undercurrent, Uh, and when I came up again, I saw a day-glow jacket in the water further out, I went over, I swam with some difficulty towards it. The person was face down in the water. When I got there, uh, I pulled his head up and it was Colin Morrison. It was never really established be- beyond any doubt why Colin was in the water. I believe, and so did most other people, he came on the slade behind us to assist us and more than likely got washed off by the massive wave that engulfed me. Uh, on the second time I was going in. Um, but it was never really established, to be fair. But that's what we think happened. He was uh, red in the face, cyanosed, and he said to me, we're done for here. I said, the inshore lifeboat will be here shortly. I knew in my own mind that was highly unlikely. I grabbed hold of him. I actually offered, I said, do you want to put the belt on? Of course, you can imagine that waves are crashing over, communications, although I got all hold of him, was difficult. And he said, no, just keep me afloat. Um, so I trapped his arms between me and the belt. Whereas the sort of, the, the wave action and the waves coming over the top of his, on a couple of occasions, he, he actually came out of the belt and I had to grab him again and uh, trap him between me and the belt. Uh, the belt. All the time we were being carried north towards uh, a boating pool, which is about roughly a quarter of a mile from the slipway where we'd gone in. By this time, I could see other police officers, fire and rescue or the fire brigade, as we knew then, uh, ambulance and other, other uh, members of the public, both on the lower walk and the upper walk, uh, looking down. It was at this time, as I uh, went past, or we were being uh, taken past a set of steps, a police officer, Martin Hewitson, was on the steps, and he actually threw uh, a life belt. He threw it a couple of times. you can imagine, it was um, a strong breeze, and it was blowing it back towards him. Eventually, it landed a short distance from where I was uh, with Colin, and uh, I went over kicked over towards it and actually got my other arm in it but it was like trying to pull against a car with the wave action and eventually the belt just pulled off off my arm i'd still got hold of colin he was trapped in between and i was holding with one arm and you know holding him onto the belt as best i can we were then getting taken towards the corner where the sea wall actually meets the boating pool colin went under again, I pulled him up, and when he came up, I knew he'd gone at that stage. So it was a heart-wrenching decision, but I had to let him go. I ended up in the corner uh, where the boating pool was, where it meets the seawall, and it was like being in a washing machine. Uh, I was getting thrown up on the top of the waves, um, hitting the overhang, uh, trying my best to push away so I didn't hit my head. And then, as the wave went, receded, I was actually hitting the beach underneath the water. I was churned like that, don't know how many times. But eventually, my head hit the wall. I was very aware of my head hitting the wall, and I became dazed. Everything that was happening on the seawall became very distant. The shouts became inaudible. And I knew at that stage uh, I was in the process of starting to drown. My real memory after that was I remember being thrown against the wall and coming up and I'd lost the life belt. I was out of the life belt then. But I I got a sensation of being strangled, of something around the neck. I'd seen people on the wall throwing lines uh, and belts. I saw a fireman throwing uh, a harness, but as I say, I I knew I was going, but I just got this sensation of something around my neck. Then the only only other sort of real recollection was, I remember hitting my face on the seawall as I was being pulled uh, with this rope around my neck. And I had no other recollection apart from being wrapped in tinfoil at some stage and apparently I was wrapped in a tinfoil blanket uh, when I was on the lower walk being treated by, by the ambulance. I'd stopped breathing, my heart had stopped and I was severely hypothermic. The ambulance crew that treated me, I knew well because we used to go to incidents together. In those days, they didn't have paramedics, they were ambulance attendants. What they said is they wouldn't have got me back. But ironically a doctor, a GP, was passing. And he was actually from Lancaster. He was actually on the Clapham Cave Rescue Team as the doctor and his specialism was cold water survival and resuscitation. Uh, And after about six minutes, John Franklin detected a heartbeat and I ended up being uh, taken to the intensive care unit at Blackpool Victoria Hospital where a day or so later I came round. The last time I saw Gordon and Angela was when they were either side of Alistair holding on to the life belt. I knew that Colin had gone in, in my heart of hearts. I didn't know what had happened to Gordon and Angela. I actually thought that they may have actually got out at that first set of steps. So when I came round, there was two colleagues there, an inspector and a sergeant. And I asked about Gordon and Angela, and I was told they'd gone also. I served 41 years as a police officer. When I retired, just prior to the pandemic, I knew I was too old to join the crew but I always wanted to do something to support the lifeboat so once the pandemic was uh, was over uh, and the lockdowns etc I actually uh, came to the Blackpool lifeboat station uh, to the shop uh, and and I volunteered the lifeboat as we all know it, it is a charity uh, it gets no other uh, support from the government or elsewhere and really my thought was if I can do what I can to raise money through the shop, through the fundraising, then at least I could contribute to, in a way, uh, to helping the brave men and women that go to sea uh, and risk their lives uh, saving others. Every year on the 5th of January, there is a memorial service, there is a a plaque at Ginn Square. It was the 40th anniversary last January. There was Probably 250 people present there, serving police officers, retired police officers, members of the other emergency services, and my colleagues from the lifeboat. Most days I think about it. I often walk along the seafront, I go down to the memorial, I reflect on it. I'm here today, Angela, Gordon, and Colin aren't, and really you know we're all getting older I want the memories to live on those three officers gave the life in the service of the people of Blackpool and the wider public that come and visit the the resort so I want them to be remembered and certainly each year they are and they're remembered at the lifeboat station by all my colleagues Hello, it's Phil Coulter here. You've been listening to part of the RNLI's 200 Voices collection. To hear more remarkable stories, head to rnli.org 200 Voices or subscribe to the RNLI wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. 200 Voices is produced for the RNLI by Adventurous Audio Limited.